Okay, but today's topic is going to be bouncing around a little bit. And I promise you, by the end, it's all going to come back together, I promise. Uh, but it's going to go from one thing to the other. Uh, but all will have a common denominator, which will become clear as the uh, show progresses. But uh, first, I wanted to start off with a text uh, that I got. We've got a couple of calls coming in, so we're going to have to get to them, too. And this text comes from Lynn. And she said she planted 12 fruit trees last year. Is 10-10-10 a good fertilizer? If not, what would you recommend? And, uh, okay, Lynn, if you ask one person what the best, uh, or if you ask 10 people what the best fertilizer for fruit trees would be, you're going to get 10 different answers. I guarantee it. Uh, so I would recommend in... 90% of the cases, uh, and you've got apples, pears, plums, and peach. Uh, I, she added that down at the end. Uh, and she asked if 10 10 10 is going to be a good fertilizer. It will do fine. Uh, there is no reason in the world uh, why you couldn't use that. I do recommend using tree stakes uh, that are uh, both. Uh, quick release and slow release. And uh, when they're small, only use four stakes and pop them in about a foot out from the tree. Uh, way the best to apply uh, tree stakes is to take a pipe, bang it down into the ground, then pull a pipe out of the ground and push a tree stake down into it. And you want to get it down to about four inches below the uh, sod. Uh, four to five inches below the sod, any higher than that, and that fertilizer is going to start working its way to the uh, grass level. And you're going to have these nice dark green rings, which you don't want. You want it to be getting down to the root level for the tree. So in a small, uh, you know, sapling stage, I would go one at, you know, northeast, west, and south. And, uh, you know, as the trees get bigger, then you want to spread them out to be about two feet apart and put them all around the drip line uh, of the tree at about two-foot intervals, and you'll be good to go. Oh, and, uh, yes, uh, by using tree stakes, you do it now in the springtime, and then it's set it and forget it. Uh, you don't have to worry about it for the rest of the season as far as fertilizing goes. So, okay, that takes care of that question, and we've got one caller coming in now on two open lines at 608-785. Nope, we don't have any callers. Ah, there's one at 608-785-7914. Good morning. You're on the Plant Doctor Show. Who's this? Uh, this is Gary. Hey, Gary. What can I do for you? I hope you can help me. You know, I have these uh, the Hollywood patio furniture on our patio, mm -hmm. and something's gnawing on it. I think it might be squirrels. Do you have any remedy to stop that? No kidding. They're chewing on plastic? It's like that polywood. Yeah. You know? Wow. Uh, no idea what the animal is? Uh, you haven't seen it? No. But, you know, it's got to be it's like leaving big chew marks, so it's got to be the squirrel, I, I would think. Squirrels, rabbits, something be. along those lines. I don't know. That's an odd one. Yeah, that uh, Hollywood, you know, like, you know, so darker wood colored. Okay, I can tell you a couple of things, but uh, on patio, 
that makes it a little bit more difficult. Are they hitting the uh, floorboards themselves or just the outsides of the boards? Or? Well, they're always like some on the armrest, you know, where you put your arms, and then down on the bottom, you know, where, like, the legs. Mm. Okay, that actually adds a totally different aspect to this because you're going to want to be putting down something that's not going to transfer to you. And that could be rather difficult. Uh, wow. Wow. I would not want to use We got, it. like, you know, these glue mouse traps, you know, glue strips down. Mm-hmm. And last night, some, he must have gotten into one because it was over by the telephone pole, which is, like, at the corner of our patio. Okay. So he must have been coming over and it got stuck in it, you know. Okay. So, trap was there and a footprint, but no uh, critter? No, it's just the, the glue trap was by the telephone pole. Oh, okay. Uh, let me think. Any of the, I definitely yeah, stray away from I, any of the chemical uh, ones that you would use. Uh, darn. Uh, maybe go over to, like, yeah, one of the discount uh, supply places and get yourself... Some uh, very large containers of cayenne pepper. Cayenne pepper? And uh, wet the uh, area down at night. I'm assuming it's happening at night, correct? Well, that's what's different because sometimes, like, if we go away, uh, this happened the other day or something. Uh-huh. We went away for a little bit, and we came back, and there was mall marks. So. Okay, well, mm. so, so I, that's why I'm thinking it might be a squirrel. You know, uh, squirrels they happen during the day. Yeah, rabbits usually won't do that, but squirrels usually won't chew on plastic either. That's what's really weird about it. Uh, they think it's wood or something, you know. That, mm, true. Uh, or maybe it's, you know, it could be a woodchuck, too, uh, for that matter. Uh, what I would do then, I would still run with the cayenne pepper. Right. But uh, do you have a hose that's nearby? Okay, uh, what I would do is go out and shake some cayenne pepper uh, around the area. Uh, wet the uh, deck area down first, then uh, shake some cayenne pepper. Uh, it'll adhere with the uh, dampness of the deck that's on the deck already, and then go back uh, before you go to utilize it and just, you know, wash the heck out of it with a hose. Blast the heck out of it to wash any of that cayenne away. Because that's going to be an irritant to you as well. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to be careful with it. Right. But uh, that's really about the best, other than putting up bird netting around the outside, which might be a possibility. You know that plastic bird netting? Mm-hmm. And run that around the outside of that deck and limit the ways the critter can get up there. But it's, a, it's a flat ground patio. You know? Oh, okay. Yeah, so you're not going to be able to do that. Uh, yeah, that's really about the best uh, answer that I can give you. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Uh, that's a new one on me. That's that, you know, that they call it Hollywood, you know. Like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, uh, yeah, that's a new one on me. I've never heard of any animals being attracted to that. Unless it's, oh, and I hate to say this, too. It might be rats. Uh, wood rats, uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, the I, the standard idea but of a rat. But no droppings or nothing around, you know. That, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Uh, rats don't always leave droppings. 
Uh, but our rats will chew on anything. Uh, they're a true rodent, and their front teeth uh, never stop growing. And that's why they're always chewing and gnawing on something. Uh, so uh, they'll gnaw to keep their teeth uh, from, you know, uh, getting too long. So it might be a case of that. Now, wood rats have no bearing on whether you're messy or anything like that, though. Would chipmunks do it? Chipmunks might do it, but they'd be leaving very, very tiny. Yeah. Yeah. If you're saying it's, you know, squirrel-sized bite marks, I seriously doubt that would be a chipmunk bat. Yeah. But either which way, uh, I would still go the uh, cayenne pepper route. That's about the only thing I could think of, you know, top of my head. But you got to be careful that it doesn't transfer to you, your pets, or uh, anybody else either. Yeah, okay. And you definitely don't want to be, you know, tracking that stuff inside your house, especially if you have little kids or pets. So uh, be careful using it, and I wish you a lot of luck. And if you can figure if you can figure out what's doing it, uh, let me know, please. Okay. Well, thank you. Okay. Good luck with that. All right. Take care. Yeah. Bye. 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 Yeah, that's an interesting call. That's an odd one, one that I've never heard before. But uh, today, uh, in between uh, callers, I did want to talk about. Uh, well, first thing I wanted to start out with was, and our local government was calling for it, uh, even though the originator of the concept pushed back away from the table, and that's no mo-may. And uh, uh, this idea originated, they actually finally traced it back to the originator, and it was some dude from some college in Minnesota. Uh, I thought it was always some kid that didn't want to mow his lawn. Uh, and he came up with a semi-logical-sounding argument for it. But uh, it was traced back to this college in uh, Minnesota, and this guy that came out with the idea originally is now pushing back away from it, saying that there's no real proof that it substantially increases any food sources for any of the pollinators, kind of like what I said. And, uh, yeah, we talked about this at length last year, and it, you know, this whole concept of Nomo May, it does far more damage than any possible good for the local environment. Plus the fact that it makes their neighborhoods look like crap for a lot longer than a month. You know, one of the best ways to ruin a lawn is to allow, allow the thing to grow unabated. Because uh, once that grass gets up over, uh, say, four or five inches tall, it's going to start to thin itself out. When it gets up to, you know, 10 inches tall, it's going to be thinning itself out quickly. And if you look at some of these lawns that uh, participated in Nomo May, we still have a week to go, by the way. Well, a little bit less than a week. Uh, I mean, some of these uh, lawns are 12 uh, to 18 inches tall. And... That's a really, really bad thing for the lawns because it just thins itself out, and the higher it gets, the quicker it happens. So, you know, uh, I would definitely opt away from doing that. Personally, I think it's just an excuse for the lazy not to mow their lawns. But, uh, hey, you know, to each their own. Uh, If I lived next to somebody that was doing it, though, I think I'd be pretty ticked off. 
very honestly, because all, it draws in insects and not the good ones like you're thinking that it will. The uh, pollinators. We do it all because of the pollinators. Uh, actually, it's going to draw in gnats and mosquitoes, ticks, stuff like that, a lot more. And it will also draw in mice and rodents. And guess what follows mice and rodents? Snakes. So, uh, yeah, there's an awful lot of bad sides of uh, having no mo may. <coughs> Especially since uh, it really doesn't do anything to draw in honeybees. Because most of the areas where homes are right now that are participating with this, it was originally for either forest land or uh, farmland. That was, which way back was forced. Uh, so, uh, now out in the middle of the forest, there's not that many wildflowers that grow, is there? Because it's too shaded. And out in the middle of farmland, there's not many, uh, wildflowers growing either. Because, you know, they're spraying it with Roundup. And, uh, taking out all those, uh, weeds that would be in competition for the, uh, crops. So, it's not going back to being natural. Uh, any flowers that are introduced there will be short-lived and not really stand the chance at uh, producing that much pollen. And there's really only three main flowers that are bloom, or four, three or four main flowers that are blooming this uh, early in the year. You've got your dandelions, which, yeah, they're excellent pollinators, but they're biannuals. The first year that uh, they grow, they don't uh, do anything. The uh, the other would be uh, violets and uh, ground ivy, which don't really impress the pollinators a whole hell of a lot. And the last one would be clover. But since the uh, grass is so high, that's going to be choking the clover out, so it's never going to get a chance for the clover to bloom. So uh, you're not really bringing any uh, flowers in that are going to do the pollinators much good to begin with. But enough of that. we got another caller coming in. Let's jump back to the phone lines. Good morning. You're on the Plant Doctor Show. Who's this? Hi, this is Dan. Hey, Dan. What can I do for you? Well, um, I'm cleaning off my yard, and um, I have some kind of bank and that. Um, so I got some lacrosse seed, but, um, I know I talk about some other seed and that. Um, so what other seeds should I use on my bank? Plus, I thought I'd use some grass seed with it, some other seed. Okay. So now when you're talking about grass seeds or wildflower seeds or? Uh, just some grass, grass seeds. on the okay. bank. Okay, very good. So, How steep of a bank is it? Uh, not too steep. Okay. Is, era- er- bleh, is erosion going to be a problem? A little bit. A little bit. Okay, yeah. what I would do then, uh, the lacrosse blend is an excellent blend uh, for a nice su- uh, sunny to partial sunny area. Uh, you uh-huh. could just do it with straight lacrosse blend, and that would be good. But... To, uh, now, lacrosse uh, blend is a mixture of uh, rise fescues, all uh, perennial rise fescues and bluegrass. Okay. What you want to get a little bit, and I do mean a little bit, down, mixed into that, 
is some annual ryegrass. And annual ryegrass, uh, now, go back to the lacrosse blend. Uh, the quickest germinating uh, seed that you have there it would be your perennial rise. And they're going to take from 7 to 14 days to germinate. Okay. The uh, fescues will be up next, and they take from uh, 14 to 21 days to germinate. Okay. Followed by bluegrass, which can take over two months to germinate. <laughs> so, okay. you know, it, they're not quick germinating uh, grasses. So uh, the huh. idea is when you go out there and you seed and there's nothing else, you know, left there, you can uh, have erosion uh, come in. But if you sprinkle a little bit and very lightly annual ryegrass, that will germinate in three days. Oh. And it will also die with the first uh, major heat of the summer. So uh, you want to, you don't want it to, you know, take over because it's a real crap grass. But uh, it does serve its purpose as an erosion control uh, agent. And okay. if you mix it in with uh, the other seed. Okay. Uh, what about uh, what about the Boulevard? Boulevard, uh, I would just run straight lacrosse uh, blend. Uh, boulevards tend to get a little bit more uh, heat stress to them, but uh, with lacrosse blend, you've got the uh, fine fescues, which are a lot more drought tolerant. So where uh-huh. you know your rise in your fescues might uh, you know kick back uh, in the high heat, your uh, fescues will uh, still be going strong. Uh huh. Okay. Um. Do you, uh, I see this stuff on, <clears throat> on TV that they, um, it's in a, it's in a bottle and you put it on. The hydro-seeding the stuff? Yeah, I, I guess that's what it is, isn't it? Just spray it on? Yeah. Any... It's a gimmick. <laughs> it's a gimmick. Don't go for it. Uh, oh. it looks handy. It looks cool. Yeah, I've seen them, uh, the advertisements, too. Uh, they spray it onto, like, this concrete slab and stand the concrete slab yeah. up on it. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, it looks great, doesn't it? Number one, that's all, it's generally almost all an, uh, annual ryegrass, which can germinate in anything, like I said, and it germinates very quickly, but it's going to die very quickly, too. And okay. the other thing is, and uh, most people don't realize this, and it's where these uh, companies that, uh, you know, the professional companies that use liquid apps, they walk across the lawn with seemingly no effort whatsoever, just waving their arms back and forth, you know, spraying the lawn as they walk. Looks like a great job to have. Uh-huh. And the average homeowner does not realize how much skill there is involved with doing that. There's a great amount of skill involved with that, and it's a trade to be learned. Uh, What I recommend people doing, and this is not just for the hydro seeding, but it's also for the liquid fertilizers. They uh, attach to the hose in the same fashion, is go out to your lawn and set a bunch of empty cans in various areas around your lawn, and go out. And with your hose, uh, just, you know, your regular spray nozzle, you don't need any of the special things, and walk across your lawn at any given rate and try to, you know, walk steadily and uh, see how much water you get 
going back and forth into the different cans. You'd be amazed wow. at how much difference there'll be from one can to the other. And uh, the same thing happens when you're putting down seed or fertilizer if you don't know what you're doing. So one area is going to wind up having very, very little, and another area is going to wind up having a ton of it. Yeah. It inevitably always happens. And so that's the reason I would definitely stay away from that stuff, avoid it like plague. What about the um, the carpet stuff? What do you mean carpet? Well, you lay down, you buy the, uh, I bought some at Menards last year and never did anything with it. Oh, sod? Um, it's a green, um, like, it's like a carpet type. Um, grass? Like a, well, it's like a rug. Yeah, it's like, roll, it's, it's rolled up grass? Yeah. Okay, uh, that's sod, and I'll tell you what, we're going a little bit long here, so i got to go to my break. I'm going to put you on hold, and you'll still be here uh, when we come back, okay? Sure. Okay, I'm going to put you on hold. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about sodding with Dan. And we'll be right back here at 1410 WYZM in just a minute. And we are back, and we've got Dan on the uh, phone, and uh, we're talking about taking care of uh, seeding or otherwise getting some grass to grow on his uh, bank. And uh, you had asked about sod. Dad. Well, it's it's a lawn seed blanket. Oh, it's a seed blanket. It's not the actual growing grass. Yeah, it's a ah. it's a lawn. I, I just I just pulled it out and looked at it. It's a mm-hmm. lawn seed blanket. Okay. I bought it in methods. Okay. Uh, yes, I have seen those. Uh, and this is usually uh, the seed is wrapped up in like wood fiber or a coconut husk or something like that that's going to eventually rot over time, and yep. the seed works its way up to the surface. You know, it uh, germinates and works its way up to the surface, and the blanket itself acts as a mulch to hold the water in to keep erosion from happening and, uh, you know, to keep uh, the air and uh, moisture can move back and forth freely through it. So it's not a bad idea. But as in any case, not all of them are good. Uh, what I want you to do is look at the packaging. All seed packaging should have a breakdown of the major seeds that are in it. And it's almost uh-huh. look, like looking at uh, the ingredients on a box of cereal. Uh, okay. It will start with the highest percentage and work its way down to its uh, lowest percentage. And okay. Because a lot of those uh, products will have a lot of annual uh, ryegrass in it. It's not needed oh. in those cases because the mat itself will act as the erosion c- control. So oh. you don't really have to worry about it. Now, the other thing that you have to uh, keep in mind, too, is this is Wisconsin, and it does tend to get a little bit breezy around here. So, right. <laughs> And you can't be setting a board down on top of it because, of course, you're going to kill any grass that's germinating underneath the board. So yeah. what they have are what's called landscape staples. And these are just like they sound. They're staples, but they're reasonable. You know, they're about uh, three to four inches long. And uh, you hammer them down to the ground, or most of the time you step on them and just push them down to the ground. And yep. uh, that way there it will remain anchored. And you go ahead and you pop one of these staples, I'd say one about every foot of area that you're going and uh, make sure you get both sides of uh, 
you know, uh, the thing. You don't want to just take the time and run it down the middle or something like that, thinking it'll hold it in place. So you want to run it down the side and uh, then the opposite side as well, you know, pull it tight, keep it so it's, uh, you know, tight up against the ground and unstaple both sides, and you're good to go. Uh, make yeah. sure you water it. And uh, what I do like about using that material is, like I said, it does hold moisture. Going into the summertime, you know, seeding is not one of the best uh, times to be doing this. And yeah, I know. We're supposed to get hot next week at mm-hmm. all. And also, uh, you know, the summer is the time that crabgrass starts to germinate. And this may help yeah. choke out yeah. some of that crabgrass. Yeah. So. I was thinking of, of, of just uh, um, uh, killing, killing the, uh, uh, my crabgrass and whatever's in there and, and trying to clean it out and using the blanket and uh, putting lacrosse seed down two and then covering that up and using that? Uh, you can go ahead and add a little bit of extra uh, grass uh, seed to the uh, seed blanket. In most cases, there's enough seed in these seed blankets uh, to uh, get a pretty decent lawn going right away. Uh, so uh, you might be doing a little bit of overkill, and overkill when you're talking about uh, lawns is not that great of an idea. Because if you plant it too thick, it'll uh, choke itself out. Oh, okay. okay. Well, you know, if, you, if you're saying that it's got a lot of rye, it's not going to last as long, you know, so. No, rye, it's uh, annual rye. There's perennial oh, rye annual. and oh, okay. annual rye. Perennial rye is good. Annual rye is like quick row crap. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Okay, thank you very much. No problem, Dan. You, good luck with that, and you have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. And let's see, we had one text come in, and uh, we have three open lines right now and only one text, 608-785-7914 for any plant or gardening questions. Uh, And this person says they agree to no mow may. They tried it, and it ruined the grass. As far as the critter chew marks on the plastic uh, lawn furniture legs, uh, this guy's saying that they had the same problem uh, down by Longfellow School, and it turned out it was chipmunks and that they never had them before. So maybe that is what's going on. Uh, I know chipmunks are rodents, so uh, it is possible that they would be doing it too. Okay, uh, again, that leaves us two open lines and no texts at 608-785-7914. Good morning. You're on the Plant Doctor Show. Who is this? Morning, this is Bill. Hey, Bill. What can I do for you today? Just a, a quick question for you. Um, there's some uh, neighbors that have maple trees kind of on the boulevard, mm-hmm. and I've, I've noticed, you know, the tops of those trees, you know, for the last, I don't know how many years, especially in the fall, seem like they kind of, the leaves take a hit and they kind of almost die off. Ah. Um, just kind of wondering what that's from because I got a young maple tree in my my boulevard, and I'm just I'm just kind of wondering what that what that might be. Let me ask you: Is it starting at the tips of the branches and uh, kind of working its way in from the outer tips? Yeah, that's what it looks like. Like I said, at the very top. Yep, it you know, starts the, at the top yep. and slowly works its way down the tree. Got some bad news for you on this one. That okay. is a disease, and it's a soil-borne disease, so you can't get away from it. It's called verticillium wilt, and 
and it, attack, it attacks different types of fruit trees or different types of trees, but maples it is a death sentence to. Uh, okay. Other trees can take a hit by it and uh, keep on going, but maples not so much. Bright side is it takes a long time to kill them, but it's in the area. Uh any maple that is in that area will eventually become affected with it. So does it does it affect all maples? All maples, from okay. the red cut leaf maples up to you know your big sugar maples. Okay. You name it, it affects them. And okay. uh, some trees, like uh, the ornamental cut leaf maples, uh, they tend to go a lot quicker than uh, sugar maple would. But it does. It's a death sentence to all trees once it gets it. There's no cure for it when they get it. Uh, you can even prolong their lives longer by making sure you keep the area clean. Uh, clean up any leaf litter underneath the trees, any sticks that fall down, broken sticks, okay. because the uh, they will act as a, a doorway for the more of the pathogen to get down into the soil. So clean it up, okay. you know, uh, dispose of it properly. And right. I wouldn't plan on growing any more maple trees there, very honestly. <laughs> okay. So uh, no mulch underneath the tree, right? Uh, you can go ahead and mulch underneath the tree. Uh, actually, mulching underneath the tree is not that bad of an idea because anything that will help keep that tree from getting stressed out during uh you know, the rest of its uh, time here on Earth uh, will prolong its life. So, you know, if we go into a, you know, a uh, super uh, dry period, so mulch will help keep uh, moisture down uh, by the roots. Uh, if we go okay. into, you know, a hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold over the winter, one of those type of winters, that takes its toll on the roots, where some mulch will, you know, uh, add a uh, thermal blanket to the ground. So mulch is a good idea in that case. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, what what did you call this condition again? Verticillium wilt. Let me spell it out. Uh, first, I have to write it out before I say it, uh, because it's been a while. Let's see. Whoops, my pen just fell apart. Son of a gun. Okay. Uh, V-E-R-T. Damn pen. It's really falling apart now. V-E-R-T-I-C verticill... I-L-I-U-M. I-U-M or I-A-M, one of the two. Okay. So it's V-E-R-T-I-C-I-L-I-U or A-M. Got it. Wilt. Right. Now, there is a one telltale sign, but um, you, you're giving me the what to look for uh, when you're looking for verticillium wilt. But if you go out and don't go to one of the tiny, tiny little branches that's infected, but go to, like, the secondary branch, you know, like one that would be about as thick around as your finger, and take okay. a cutting and do it on an angle. And uh, because verticillium wilt is actually akin to hardening of the arteries in a human. And uh, if you look on the cut area of the branch, you will see the normal maple color is a very light-colored wood, but you'll see a very dark area. It could be a very thin line, too, but that's the uh, verticillium uh, attacking the tree at that point. 
inside the woodcut itself. Okay? Uh, I guess he hung up. But that is one of the best ways of uh, telling. Uh, that's a guaranteed way of telling if you have got the Bersillium wilt. But the telltale sign of it is it's, you know, the top of the tree is first, then slowly working its way down uh, the tree and starting from the outside going to the inside. Okay, good morning. You're on the Plant Doctor Show. Who's this? Hi, this is Lee. Hey, Lee, how's it going? It's fabulous. That's what a great. glorious day. Yeah, it is nice out there, ain't it? Oh, what can I do for you? <laughs> Just amazing. What can I do for you today? Well, I have a follow-up on the question, um, previous question about um, a ground cover on a slope. Mine's a little different. Okay. I have a slope that's fairly steep. Um, and it's wooded somewhat, mm-hmm. so it's it's more shady than it is sunny. Um, and um, I'm looking for, and I it's steep enough that I can't mow it. Okay. So um, so I have no mow all the time in this slope, um, whether I like it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking for a ground cover, and you know I I. I'm open to almost anything, some kind of a perennial ground cover. I have wildflowers, grasses, tall grasses. I have no idea. Uh, what would you suggest? Okay. Uh, there are two that come to mind right off uh, the top, and they're not grasses. Uh, one would be myrtle, which is a smaller leaf uh, plant. Uh, grows uh, close to the ground, nice and dense. Uh, again, it, now this is something when you have a no-maintenance uh, area, you will be attracting critters. You've got to keep that in mind, okay? Now, you said, is this myrtle, did you say? Myrtle, M-Y-R-T-L-E. Now, there's the myrtle that grows up the side of the trees, and there's also a myrtle that grows on the uh, ground itself. Oh, okay. Okay. There is another called Vinca, V-I-N-C-A. Now, you need to be careful because there's perennial Vinca, and uh, but there is an annual Vinca. You don't want to get the annual Vinca. Now, the, My wife loves Vinca's flowers in her flower bed. Okay, very good. And Vinca would be a good uh, suggestion for that, as long as it's getting filtered sunlight, you know, some sunlight. Uh, it will not grow out in total shade. Now, if it is total shade or par- from total shade to partial sunlight, you can grow something that's not that popular around this area, but it still does a good job. You might have a hard time getting it. You might have to order in, uh, you know, like mail, mail order or something like that, and that's called Pachysandra. And uh, that's spelled P-A-C-H-A-S-A-N. D-R-A, Pachysandra. Okay. And that's a larger leaf. Uh, It's a uh, ground cover. It's a little bit slower going, uh, slower spreading to take off with. But once you get it established, it lasts uh, quite some time. There's two types. There's solid green and there is a variegated. Uh, If uh, you're leaning more towards uh, the heavier shade, I would stick with the solid green as opposed to the variegated. That likes a little bit more light. 
but this stuff here uh, does very well underneath trees. Uh, like I said, it will bring in critters, though. It's a guarantee because, you know, you're going to get the rodents that are hiding out underneath it, and after rodents come snakes. So I, it's not something that I would want to use right up uh, next to, you know, where your you know, living areas, you know, your living spaces. But uh, it does a very, very good job. Okay? Nice. Okay. That's, that's very helpful. Thank you very much. You're quite welcome, and good luck with that. Thank you. Take care. And that's going to take us uh, to our next break here. We're going to have to take care of a little bit of business and some weather, but we'll be right back here at 1410 WICM in just a couple of minutes. Go ahead and give me a call. Shoot me a text. number down here again is 608-785-7914. But we've got five minutes left to show, uh, more than enough time for a quick uh, question or two. Hey, let's see, do we have any emails here? Inbox, there we are. Nope, no in. Uh, oh, uh, somebody sent me a picture of uh, that uh, seed carpet that the guy was talking about. And, yeah, that's probably what he was talking about there. There's all sorts of them on the market. But uh, we were otherwise than that, we were talking about, whenever I try to do this show, I never get through the whole thing and it, doesn't work that well. I gotta figure out some other way of getting around to it. But uh, one of the things that they're talking about uh, doing in the area too, and they have been doing it further south, and that's spraying of mosquitoes. Uh, going back to doing that again because uh, you know mosquitoes can be a pain in the neck, and especially with all the uh, diseases and stuff that they're carrying right now. You know, you got West Nile and uh, all that crazy stuff and cephalitis and everything else, and it's not like the olden days uh, when they were out there spraying, you know, who knows what. Right now, uh, for the most part, and I can't say it for all companies, but the uh, spray that they're using now is called NALED, N-A-L-E-D, I believe is how you spell that, and it is really a responsible choice uh, to use it breaks down much quicker than other insecticides, and it becomes inert in about two days. Now, it does happen to carry a danger warning, though, and that's because it's an organophosphate, which I'm kind of surprised in this day and age of being woke that I'm surprised that they're using, because organophosphates, for the most part, were pulled off the market due to a very, very flawed study. Uh, that determined that they cause cancer in humans. Uh, and it was only one study that found this, and I believe that was done out in Berkeley uh, back in the 80s, uh, early 90s. It, it was garbage. It was real garbage science. And uh, actually the study that they uh, quote uh, saying that made this, they cause cancer in humans was all based on uh, one area out in Long Island where uh, there was a cancer cluster, and they were wondering why. And the only common denominator that they could find for this uh, cancer cluster was that all the homes, because it was in a very well-to-do area, were all using a uh, insecticide to keep ticks away because this was at the height of Lyme disease. And back then, it was probably Durzban or Diazinon, one of those type of insecticides, which is an organophosphate. 
Uh, and it got its bad rap from that point on. If they would have done a little bit further digging, and they wouldn't have dug too far into the ground either, they would have found out that this uh, development that had the cancer cluster was sitting on top of a landfill. And it just happened to be the landfill that when they were developing the A-bomb, they were dumping the waste into. So, uh, yeah, there was a bunch of nuclear waste literally underneath the ground. And that's more than likely what was causing the, uh, no, the cancer cluster. But, okay, that's going to pretty much wrap it up for this show. We don't have enough time to do anything else, uh, any real uh, you know, uh, service. So uh, we'll be back here next week. If you've got a question during the week, go ahead and shoot me a text. Uh, uh, you can go ahead and uh, go to the Plant Doctor of lacrosse on facebook and uh you know go ahead and give the page a like and then you can shoot me texts back and forth on that and i'll answer questions on and off during the week